talking about our outfits today. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't press record until just then. There's a good 45 minutes before each podcast where we're talking about why we're dressed the way we are before. I, I still can't get over it. JT's sleek black look today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. This is the most yeah. taken aback you've been by an outfit of mine. That's pretty simple, honestly. Simple but classic. <laughs> I'm kind of dressed like uh, what's that purple guy from McDonald's? Grimace. Grimace. I kind of look like Grimace right now. My bluish, purplish outfit. That's like a stand-up comedy. Like a comedian would make fun of you doing Crowder. Like my yeah. man looks like Grimace. Yeah, I make fun of them so they can't make fun of me. <laughs> Ah, meanwhile, I'm rocking my light Sandler fit, you know, the plain white and the uh, the blue basketball shorts on tonight's extended clip after hours, where we're going to be talking about John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars, 2001 film. Um, JT, why, why did you bring this one to the bonus feed? Why did you bring this to the pod? Um, well, it's October. Uh, we're, we're talking horror movies from time to time. And, like, you, you got to go to the god John Carpenter, the king of them all. And uh, I just, this is one, like, obviously towards the end of his career um, that, like, I've been curious about for a while. Pretty, like, trashed upon ice cubes in it. I was curious about that. And uh, I, I don't know. I feel like it was a, an interesting one to pick, and I was not disappointed at all, at all by uh, what I saw. What about you, Malcolm? You like this one? Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Like I really, I, it really shot up there in the Carpenter rankings for me because it. I feel like he's just going to a bag of tricks that I haven't seen him go to before. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of them more obvious, like with the editing techniques, but just, uh, just you know, certain POV, te you know reinterpreting classics kind of like you know how like the gas has its own like pov that's mm -hmm. like insane like that's so yeah. and it looks like a distorted video and the new metal soundtrack he's you know taking his classic uh tenets and just recreating them for a new era and it's uh it's it's amazing oh my god yeah i mean like one of the wraparound scenes opening on uh don't police officers have rights anymore? <laughs> and, uh, you know, closing on that exchange of you'd make a hell of a cop, you'd make a hell of a crook uh, makes it very obvious this like deconstructionist approach of Carpenter's here. You know, it's this militant future on Mars where a colonial extraction mission leads to a ghost train. Like all of these ideas yeah. are just like too much to handle. You know, it's, it's like an action procedural really, but the horror is just in the atmosphere and everything that's implied by the sci-fi context and just the natural stylings of Carpenter as a director. Yeah, it's weird in that like genre framework. I mean, I also, it's definitely a little bit of a stretch, but I get like sort of a Western vibe mm -hmm. from it at points, like the whole ghost town stuff, mm -hmm. the train things. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's He's playing around with a bunch of different things, like just seeing like what works and just like having a real fun time the trains i mean yeah the all the train stuff feels like straight out of like a train noir to yeah. the way like how the train is constructed and stuff like that it, it reminds me of you know certain povs we'd see in like these older movies and it's just to bring it to the science fiction realm <laughs> with all the other stuff going on it's just yeah it's just a small part of a, a great bigger picture 
you have the shot of the real lead of this movie, uh, Melanie, played by Natasha Henstrich, where it, she's just on the side of the cinemascope frame and it's dissolving into that train approaching. And just right there, you're just cued in like, oh yeah, Carpenter is like one of the greatest of all time at like classical scope framing kind of and the, the uses of stylistic techniques that have been around kind of forever but just using them in a more i guess modern and progressive way you know he's using dissolves within takes here in really weird ways where a character will be walking toward camera and just kind of pop up at different points because he's dissolving through the take of them walking and i don't know just all of the stylistic uh things that he throws into this movie land for me and the like uh, artificiality of the landscapes on Mars kind of lends itself to both expression and just like I don't know bombastic stylings I mm-hmm. guess and also performance as well oh too. for sure because it's yeah like Ice Cube Natasha Henstridge I do like Ice Cube's presence I think they're good presences when you get down to the brass tacks of classical acting maybe not the the greatest but Carpenter just knows how to use that to his own advantage yeah, I mean, with the dissolves, with what you're saying, Eddie, I think it builds like a really interesting effect with how many like stories within stories and like interweaving narratives there are. I mean, it starts with like the classic, like you're at court, like what happened sort of uh, set piece to like tell the, the main story. But then within that, there are a bunch of like narrative digressions that like use these sort of weird dissolves, like whether they're talking about how like that the smoke was like first found or like sometimes like one that really took me aback was um, Natasha Henstridge. Like she's recounting like something that she just did and there's a dissolve to it. And it's just like a fascinating way to like compress time and like show memory. Oh, yeah. I mean, apparently Carpenter and his co-writer wrote a completely linear version of this and then completely reworked it. And just the effort that you have to do to go from a linear uh, version of this to all of the detours that this takes and all of the times that this doubles back on itself narratively is just fascinating to me i mean Mm -hmm. like it's truly a deconstructed movie in that sense true but also just it it maintains the strong tones you get from a movie that's not deconstructed because a lot of a lot of the mistakes you know deconstructionist art makes is that it just becomes unpleasant and whereas whereas this it's just it's i mean the action scenes are some of the most fun carpenter action scenes I've seen some of his best action work where you just have, I love that the motif is just people flying through the air. So many bodies you see being flung and flown through the air in these action scenes, kind of like these low angle shots. It's just makes the, you know, this kind of deconstructed atmosphere still gives the action that certain punch. Yeah, there are these insane firefights where hand-to-hand combat and also crazy throwing discs uh, come into play. And he's just mixing all of this to create kind of a chaos that, like, there's always a, a more centered and focused uh, combat, you know, staged in the foreground. And then you almost have, like, a noise of all of these bodies flying against each other in the background. But if you look closely at the background, it's all also very carefully staged, you know? It's such, uh, I don't know, an expansive, like, crazy detailed mise-en-scene for such an insane movie like this, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Also, I feel like there's like kind of a, a through line, a very undercurrent of melancholy. Oh, for throughout sure. this movie, we have the Natasha Henstridge character popping pills. You know, that's nothing that's even really commented on. She's yeah, she pops pills, take the pain away, and then like just I feel like Ice Cube keeps like these are the last people on Earth, right? Or some of the last people on Earth. There's there's kind of like a endingness feeling to all of it and i think ice cube even says you know what's the point of even staying alive you know it's just like there's kind of to this deconstruct the kind of the deconstructionist element also uh, lends itself to kind of maybe a more melancholy tone that i'm used to seeing in carpenter but he still gets his jokes and i like when uh uh one of the people that the team encounters i've you know, there's a lot of characters but Someone cuts off their thumb trying to open up a can of beans or something like that. Very funny. Oh, and they all just laugh at it, too. There's no concern at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the requirement for them to go into an actual mode of danger is like, yeah, you got to have a bunch of ghosts and creatures attacking you. You know, uh, someone cutting their thumb off isn't really a big deal to these people. And also the drugs that Melanie is taking also plays into the part of like, perspective in this film and it's her pov that she's telling but then there's also flashbacks of other characters and there's also these drug trips that she has where you're not quite sure of the lasting effect versus immediately when she takes it you know and all of it becomes so hazy especially when he's just dissolving back to the courtroom and you're just like i wasn't even done with that narrative thread yet i mean i think it builds to something like a really interesting effect because it's like sort of getting at like what the whole the way the ghosts sort of like take over bodies like at one point i think a line of dialogue is that thoughts memories in describing it are like invaded by something and i think having all these different and like weird warped perspectives really allows you to tap into that sort of headspace and i think particularly the way he does um uh, Melanie like doing the drugs I think like gets that and I think it's like a really uh, I don't know where a lot of times like drug depictions to get like trippy like <laughs> come across as bullshit I think Carpenter does it really well in this I think Carpenter done has done his drugs he's on his drug sure. duty oh yeah also kind of you know to speak of the kind of like the non-linear a pace of this movie where it's like you, you realize that she's going to be the only one alive at the end of the movie too. And like the whole thing kind of be, doesn't feel like a death march, but you're wondering like what's going to happen and certain characters kind of disappear without, without a great amount of fanfare, like something like uh, Pam Greer's death feels so early in the movie, you know, yeah. for a, a star of her magnitude, you know, and it's just, I think it's uh, just, everything's really smartly placed in terms of, you know, story, mise-en-scene, everything. In terms of, like where it was at that time. I got, I mean, Pam Greer had a bit of prestige compact. This is four years after yeah. Jackie Brown, but it's like, it still feels like a very, uh, a legend ready role for her. You mm -hmm. know, like this is a role where you get the old head to give as much performance in 30 minutes as most of the rest of the cast is going to give over an hour and a half, you know, definitely, definitely. I mean, now I'm getting into people I can't name, but like, I mean, I think the other white female actress too kind of has kind of like a blankness to her. That's like, I'm like, is she in on it at first? There's just like a lot of stuff. I'm questioning everything in this movie because just because it's, uh, it's, it's strange without, I don't know, feeling too disrupted or anything like that. Everything's where it's supposed to be, but it's just, it's got me asking questions. Were you thinking of 
the white lady that's in the jail cell? Uh, no, the, the oh, on Cleo the team. Duvall. Yeah, Cleo Duvall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cleo Duvall. Uh, but also another character we have failed to mention is Jason Statham. Yeah, as Sergeant Jericho Butler. What a great name for Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> to write that one down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, his whole thing is just trying to fuck Melanie, and yeah. it's pretty well done, I gotta say. And like, man. Statham and Carpenter, that's a that's a strong matchup. I, I, know, I really yeah. wish they made more movies together. Definitely. I mean, hey, Statham, use your star power. Um, Bring them back. Bring them back. <laughs> Could you imagine a 2021 Carpenter Statham movie? Oh, my God. Man, that might be what the people need. I mean, the it market the market's dry right now. Yeah, the people need to wake up like they <laughs> live. Uh, he's the new <laughs> Rowdy Roddy. <laughs> Statham could deliver a powerful message. We I know think this. He could. I think it also goes to what JT was talking about on the the main feed episode. You know, even though they're in times of turmoil, Statham's still trying to get some fucking pussy. You know, just take a little <laughs> bit of the, take a little bit of the edge off. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, you need to repopulate the world somehow. It's yeah. such a classic science fiction. Uh, sex fantasy. It's like you have to have sex with me. Yeah, he <laughs> says uh, there's not too many of us breeders around anymore. <laughs> not gonna do the voice, but uh, you can imagine. Yeah, just uh, I'm I'm sure there's a like a Google Translate British Cockney voice that sounds like Statham. So just put those words in there, make them say it. I I do really love the the score which you mentioned earlier. It's kind of the classic way that John Carpenter builds out these kind of musical patterns uh, through his scores. Going back to his earliest scores, they all feel like you're programming them into a sequencer on the synth, you know, and they have those very calculated rhythms that work very well with his editing. And in this one, rather than a bunch of sequencers, you get a bunch of fucking new metal guitarists in the studio just jamming out on some, you know, kind of industrial, kind of new metal sounding guitar and uh, synth sounds. And it's, it's a wonderful soundtrack. I feel like the jamming works really well with, I mean, I don't know how exactly intentional this is, but like the, uh, the ghosts of Mars have sort of like an eighties hair metal kind of look to all of them <laughs> that just like works really well. The ghosts of Mars in their hosts, you know, they're, they're wearing, uh, this makeup to kind of signify some sort of nativism as this is kind of like a, you know, not even kind of it's a pretty on the surface uh colonial kind of allegory and the first look that you get at them really is statham you know peeking over a hill and what feels like it's in a western kind of this really keys into the western where you have a white guy peeking over the hill and seeing the natives doing a crazy you know training ritual what looks like something they're getting ready to kill everyone with <laughs> yeah and uh yeah and then when they leave those forms the ghosts become this air dust kind of gas thing. this gas sorry well i'm just it's the best word for it no <laughs> <laughs> the ghosts become this gas and yeah as you said earlier you get those pov shots from it where it's that distorted kind of video looking thing with a little red tinge to it one of the great you know stylistic benefits to the film and it gives it a very genuinely creepy feeling too to be in the point of view of a ghost of mars <laughs> no i mean that's it speaks to 
like how many uh, places Carpenter could reach because this is like equal parts horror, equal parts action, equal parts Western too. Because yeah, once you guys did say Western, I'm like, oh yeah, it's kind of obvious. Like this is very Western, even the way like the geography of the town looks mm-hmm. exactly like a old Western town. So he's definitely hearkening uh, to that, and just the way he melds all of these with just kind of a uh, you know the you have the deconstructionist aspect. It's just a it's great. Uh, mixed you know yeah. it's, a, it's an elixir it becomes an elixir <laughs> at that point. i mean it's it's something where it's like it's very enjoyable to me on the very base level of like this is like a pulpy sort mm-hmm. of like action movie like i like it maybe you could edit in the clip so i don't say a slur <laughs> um but uh ice cubes i think his first line is uh, drop the weapon before I cut the dyke bitch's head off. Oh yeah, yeah. that's and, great. And then it ends with them doing the uh, that uh, let's kick some ass. And there's that type of like sleazy sort of dialogue and tinge mm-hmm. to all of this. Yeah. But he's working on like a higher level with combining all these genres, just the formal aspects of it, and just like thinking about it and like picking apart picking it apart really makes me love it a whole lot more. I mean, the way it ends, too, you got the Ice Cube swag wink to the camera. I mean, I love it. I mean, anyone who's criticizing Ice Cube's acting, I think he he has a great charisma in this role. Mm-hmm. Brings, a, you know, some high energy to kind of a, a weary, you know, uh, group of colonialists. <laughs> yeah. Between that cop criminal divide being so obviously, you know, destroyed and. Ice Cube at one point dual wielding uh, submachine guns. It was like, oh, this is like kind of a little bit of his John Woo movie as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really just a grab bag of everything that it could possibly be, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, it was a great film. John Carpenter. How would you? How do you fellows feel this stacks up in terms of your Carpenter rankings now? I immediately put it top five. I gotta say, and we wow. could we could transition into John Carpenter hot takes, where you can only Ooh. hear, you know, the private letterboxed lists otherwise uh, revealed on podcasts. I uh, I was gonna say I still have a good amount of Carpenter to go through. I feel like I've got maybe five to eight that I really need to see. Um, I haven't seen a lot of his sci-fi. I haven't seen stuff like Dark Star or Starman or anything like that. Starman is an incredible film. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll make that high priority. I remember not enjoying The Fog when I saw it when I was like 19. 19. I don't, you know, just... Um, I remember being like, eh, but I, I feel like I'm probably wrong on that one. You know, that that's same with me. Fog is toward the bottom of my rankings, but I just downloaded it like yesterday because I really want to rewatch it. That was like the second Carpenter I saw and I wasn't fully into his style yet, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I said earlier we haven't talked about John Carpenter, but we did body bags. True. Yeah. Yeah. I, we nice lied. catch. Yeah, we lied. Maybe I didn't even say that on mic, though. We might not have been. I don't think we it. did. I don't think we. Well, all right. Here, I've I've actually produced an actual John Carpenter hot take. Okay. Uh, the thing is definitely not his best movie. I put it number two. Damn. Yeah. The thing is, two. the thing's yeah. a masterpiece. It's dude. pretty high up there. For it's, me. What's wrong with the thing? No, I think it's great, but it's just not his best. Okay. That's that's all I got to say on okay. the matter. It, I, mean, I, I think don't think it's the best either. But something I think it's like very in, close. I mean, I like In the Mouth of Madness mm-hmm. more. I like uh, Ghost of Mars more. 
Fuck, I haven't really seen that many John Carpenter movies. Okay, I've seen I've seen 17 of his movies. So I still have quite a few to see, too. They Live, also I rank above that. My top 10, counting down from 10, I would say. Halloween, Assault on Precinct 13, Christine, Big Trouble in Little China, Starman, and then the top five, Ghosts of Mars, In the Mouth of Madness, They Live, The Thing, and Prince of Darkness is number one. Prince of Darkness is a movie we've talked about on this f- podcast before in passing. Mm-hmm. It's a very strange movie to talk about because it's one of the few movies that freaks me out like I'm a little kid again. Yeah, kind of. you've, I don't. I, I feel like I've never heard you admit being kind of freaked out or scared by a movie. So that's <laughs> freaky. That's that's a high regard. Now, in the Mouth of Madness is scarier to me though. Yeah, that's my biggest fear is that movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, that is my biggest fear. Is like getting too into like john ford and like <laughs> ending up at like in the south at a civil war reenactment on the wrong side or something i that's that's that sounds better than how i think my life is gonna go <laughs> so, um what do you what, fuck i forgot what i was gonna I mean, say i think that like i think that does tap into a more i, I don't want to say realistic fear but yeah. like i think like going crazy like that or sort of losing your mind like that is present yeah. in the mouth of madness because i think that's the most i don't know because a lot of carpenter stuff like not realistic but i think tapping there into like d- like going insane i think is a very like I, I don't know. Well, also with going insane with the one thing to blame being pulp art is like, <laughs> that is really relatable because, if, you know, when I feel at my most insane, what what am I looking around to blame it? At? It's like, oh, what am I spending all of my fucking days doing watching these stupid fucking movies? Yeah, yeah. no. For yeah. the last Patreon doing like going <laughs> deep on scary movie, I felt like I was going the connections I was yeah. seeing in my mind. And Do just you think, read Marlon Wayans? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys both showed up with charts. <laughs> stuff that's just on Wikipedia. Filled <laughs> <laughs> up a notebook of stuff that I could have just looked at the Wikipedia for. I, I think I'm going to go out like Stacy Keach and body bags and uh, 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 a bad uh, baldness treatment is going to do me in a bad batch of uh, hair medicine. I already, I already got gray hair, so it's like that means I'm going to go bald too. Yeah. So. No, I already my my hairline started receding slightly in one part of it, and it's very uncomfortable for me to look at it in the mirror sometimes. And I feel like I'm definitely going to go body bags mode. But if that means I get to get my own little almost cut my hair needle drop, it'll be all <laughs> worth it. I mean, I think I think Prince of Darkness and Ghost of Mars are kind of I'll, I love all these other Carpenter movies that I've you know said I liked. But I feel like they kind of they something that reaches beyond that. It kind of has they have these this baffling quality where it's like uh, I think it's it's also part of uh, what's rewarding about auteurism, right? Like something like Ghost of Mars is like a product of you know us watching Carpenter, you know, in a, a lot of his movies throughout the years is also part of why we enjoy it. And I I always love stuff like that, like a sleeper hit towards the back end of a director's career and. This is this is it. If there was ever was one, I'm I'm surprised how negatively it was received. But I, I guess I'm not that surprised to be honest. Well, also part of the reception, this movie came out two weeks before 9/11. So nice. I'm not saying they saw it coming, but like yeah. in terms of the lasting impact, I think it it takes a while for a movie to recover from that. You know, True. Yeah. like it was already doing poorly. It already got bad reviews and everything like that. But like 
that's not the time for a cult <laughs> classic on video is True. like right after 9-11, you know? Then people just in their head, they're like, the John Carpenter, 9-11. They, they'd, he they'd rather see <laughs> Escape from New York. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't show that nowadays. <laughs> Did you guys ever see the original Spider-Man trailer with him swinging through the Twin Towers? Oh, and they no, had, that's a piece of his. That's like national treasure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that they had to pull. But it's just like, he's just like, it's a very twin-towered centric ad and love seeing those two towers well, they, in the they, movies that's happened in a lot of stuff like the sopranos intro is like that and i think sex in the city even has the yeah. two towers in the intro at one point and then not after uh you know you know it you love it <laughs> september 11th 2001 we've already talked about it to death on this show so we probably shouldn't take it any further but in terms of stepping just before 9-11 i think another parallel to bring to this is another Mars movie, 2000's Brian De Palma's Mission to Mars. This is kind of the other side of the coin, where Brian De Palma is doing like more of a studio uh, movie, a an audience friendly movie kind of, mm-hmm. but it also still has some like horrifying imagery kind of, <laughs> and uh, is very emotional for a Brian De Palma movie, which is very strange. Uh, but I think both of these are a weird, uh, it's, it's a nice pairing of kind of strange films for these guys that I love from the new Hollywood era going up until, you know, where the culture was at right before 9-11. Right uh, before 9/11. Well, because I think De Palma's cinema changes radically from that point on. Obviously, oh, yeah. he's 9-11's biggest fan, as we know. <laughs> but Carpenter hasn't made a theatrical release since. So no, it's like... I mean, he did... Well, I guess it's not it, theatrical. Yeah he, yeah. he has like three, you know, f- or two feature credits or one feature credit and two TV credits since this. Yeah, but one of yeah. them is like DTV. Yeah, is the ward. The ward. Yeah, I think that that oh was. Oh boy, <laughs> well, it's the ward. <laughs> no, it is. It is the ward. Twenty eleven. Yeah. What do you call it? You know, I feel like De Palma responded to nine eleven in a way. It kind of broke his brain, but in a yeah. good way. Kind of a rare because, like, you have like comedians in like two thousand one being like, "We need to go to war with." It's like Jim yeah. Norton telling us to go to war with Iran. <laughs> it's like all right. Um, but also, I think Sex in the City too. It's a very interesting dealing with 9-11 where I think the plot is that they go to like Saudi Arabia. Oh, I really want to cover that. I want to cover yeah. this on the pod I was gonna say, point. I was going to say it because that's a good potential movie pick. And also, I remember I tried, like me and my friend uh, David, we tried watching Sex in the City just kind of as a laugh. Like, hey, what's yeah. this about? And I was like, I literally can't watch this show. <laughs> well, because I had been reading Hoberman's film after film, which deals with a lot of like the post 9-11 cinema, mm-hmm. but... I still can't grasp the pre, like where the culture was at in like I'm, that end of history era. It's been talked about to death, but like I still can't grasp what maybe the house style was and what that sensibility means quite yet. And I guess it's just a new weird fetish for me that I'm going to be going through these movies, but whatever. I think there's a looking forward for some sort of hope and positiveness for the future. I mean, I think with the two Mars flicks you brought up, it's like in Carpenter's end, it's like, okay, where's uh, Western imperialism going to go from here? Mm -hmm. And it's like space. And uh, for De Palma, and I feel like other like blockbusters of the 2000s, it's like looking forward and reaching forward and still like some of the like positive like aspects of the 90s. Everyone's riding high in that post internet boom. And it's like, we're going to be rich forever. <laughs> Nothing's ever going to happen with us. You know, it's we're never going to die. <laughs> Con Air, I think, is a definitive. That might be like the start of that. It's like 97 
to August of 2001. Yeah. Can't lose cinema. We yeah. can't lose. <laughs> yeah. We should start. Yeah, we should do, because, you know, people, uh, Hoberman did a book about it, right? Or uh, that's what you said. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but about, uh, about you know, movies after 9-11. We should do the pre-Winner's Era, before 9-11, like Winner's Circle Cinema. <laughs> <laughs> players players ball cinema <laughs> we can't stop uh, i think that'll do it for this week's patreon episode um malcolm do you have a patreon pick for next week uh no but i do have a patreon patreon.com slash malcolm bomb if you want to <laughs> donate to that no I, I don't know i just felt like saying that i don't have that and i don't have an episode i don't have a movie for next week <laughs> <laughs> goodbye patreon